Good morning. <clears throat> I needed the chance to worship a little bit. Did Stephen tell you I'm not feeling well this morning? I'm a little bit at a disadvantage, but uh, <clears throat> I was just thinking, we used to have a Volkswagen Rabbit. It was a diesel rabbit, uh, not an Energizer bunny, but a diesel rabbit. And they used to have, when you'd gas your diesel rabbit uh, or pickup, whatever happened to have a diesel engine, they would have courtesy gloves, little plastic gloves. I don't know if you ever noticed that at gas stations. I think they've uh, given up on it. But uh, they used to have little plastic gloves because you get diesel on you and it's, it's, it's really a mess. Uh, you can't get it off. So you put the little plastic glove on. They're like little plastic mittens. And you pump your gas, and then you peel them off. They're not like uh, latex medical gloves. They're just big, baggy plastic mittens. And uh, <clears throat> one morning when we were at church, I, I had this terrible cold, but I always greeted people when they would come into the 20s group. Yeah, I was 20 once. And... So I took a couple of those plastic mittens and I shook people's hands with the plastic mitten on. That, I thought that was the best way to solve the problem, not infect everybody. Uh, I was wishing I had some of those today. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. My head is so clogged up. I feel like I'm in a sound booth. I can really hear myself. It's, it's kind of like a chamber. And I've got this thing going on with my eye. We don't know exactly what it is, but it kind of was frozen shut this morning. So uh, kind of like when your dog gets the Cresties, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm pitiful this morning. <laughs> pitiful. <clears throat> but we have a great message. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19 as we consider becoming the church. We're going to look at verses 8 through 41 this morning. We'll be here again next week. I hope you'll, you'll read in Acts chapter 19 and maybe even into chapter 20. Because in chapter 20, verse 17, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Paul calls all the elders from the church at Ephesus. And he speaks to them for the last time before he goes on to Jerusalem. And uh, we know the end of the story, and Paul ends up at Rome in prison and eventually submits his life literally for the Lord. What I think is really profound about this chapter is this entire chapter is a capsule of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And we looked at Ephesus once before, I'm going to pull up this map for a moment. And there's Ephesus in yellow. And this shaded green area is the province of Asia. So that's going to pop up as we look at chapter 19 this morning. The province of Asia. Of course, when we think of Asia, our minds travel to different places than what is modern-day Turkey. But... 
here in the Mediterranean, in the Middle East, this area was the Roman province of Asia. And if you look at some of the cities there, you'll recognize them. The cities of Revelation are located in this province. And that's striking to us. If you've read the letters, those opening letters in Revelation, the final book of the New Testament, you'll notice Colossians. And if you've read Colossians, and then, of course, there's reference to Laodicea. And, of course, Ephesus is uh, really the heart of, uh, of life, so to speak, in Asia. It's the big city. It's, in fact, Ephesus is the home of a lot of things in the Roman Empire. It's the third largest city. Over 200,000 people. The temple of Artemis, or Diana, is located there. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. You've all seen pictures of the Acropolis in Greece. That majestic Acropolis. You could fit two, and by the full dimensions, some say four Acropolis size structures within the temple of Diana. They had an amphitheater that seats 25,000 people in Ephesus. I checked it this week. Our mineral king bowl seats 15. That's a pretty big amphitheater. It's the home of trade, it's the home of culture. It's, it's the home of style, you know. It's the home of religious practices, and there are many. Artemis is just the major one. It's also been called the home of magic. And it is here that Paul spends the heart of his ministry. And what I want us to appreciate as we kind of take this snapshot of the province of Asia and Ephesus, is that this is the pinnacle of Paul's ministry. The pinnacle. We think of all that God has done through Paul, this man's life. This is the apex. This is the summit. And he spends a longer time here than anywhere else. This is the focus. And it is really the feature of his of his work. And that's what we look at and read about here in Acts chapter 19. If you called it a major success, you'd be right. And I just want to draw our attention, even before we read this passage, I want to draw our attention to a few expressions that really jumped out to me as I've reflected and meditated on this over the last couple of weeks. Verse 10, if you have, I hope you have your New Testament open too, if you, uh, Acts chapter 19. Verse 10, it says, The word of the Lord was heard. You see that? The word of the Lord was heard. Verse 10, chapter 19. It was heard in all Asia by both Jews and Greeks. Okay? That's a pretty big, I mean, <laughs> that's a big net. The word of the Lord was heard. 
Verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Magnified is a good translation. It means enlarged, exalted, lifted up. His reputation was magnified, big, big, made bigger, seen bigger. Verse 20, by the power of God, the word grew and prevailed. Now, that's a very literal translation. By the power of God, the word grew and prevailed. Well, the word, we've already, we're going to understand, that's the word about Jesus Christ. That's the word of the Lord. The word concerning the Lord. The word about the Lord. The message of the Lord. The word grew and prevailed. Verse 23, as Paul was going to leave, not a little trouble erupted about the way. And we're introduced to the way at the beginning of this presentation of Paul's ministry in Ephesus in the synagogue. The way refers to the way of Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus Christ. The gospel. And then verse 26. We get even this kind of indirect description of the success, if you will, of Paul's work in this area. Because even Demetrius, the silversmith, although stated in negative terms, says Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole of Asia. Well, I would say that's a success. If you went there to talk to people about Jesus Christ, to bring to people who had never heard about Jesus Christ, to bring this message, that's a powerful description of success. How did Paul do it? That's what really caught my attention. How did he gain such success? How did all, Jews and Greeks, hear the word of the Lord. How did all, Jews and Greeks, come to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, which is stated in verse 10 and verse 17? And how did the way become so significant that it really brings the city of Ephesus to near riot, filling the amphitheater with 25,000 people chanting Artemis, Artemis, Artemis for two hours straight. Man, wouldn't you like to be involved in a ministry like that? I mean, even if you were hawking something door to door, A Girl Scout cookie sales person or something else. Man, this would this is a major impact. And it's all connected to Paul, but Paul is not central. That's the thing that grabs me about this. That's what I want us to look at today and think about. Paul is central 
and he is strategic and he is significant to what God does there. But what happens is in God's hands. That's made so clear. It's his reputation, his power, his word. It's not our hijinks. It's not our ingenuity. It's not our human manufacturing. God does it through Paul's faithfulness. And he, he concentrates on the basics. He does the little things right. He does the important things well. And he doesn't lose sight of what's important. He doesn't get swept away by the power of his own place in this huge wave of what God's doing. And boy, that's something that wipes a lot of us out in the Christian life. Success. We kind of get full of ourselves. Start thinking we did what God does. That's what I thought you see by just reading this closely and thinking, wow, where is Paul in this? What exactly does he do? I thought if this were a movie, it might be titled The Magnificent Ministry of Paul in Ephesus and Asia. But this movie doesn't even get made unless God produces it. He's the executive producer. Paul's strategic, but he's not the center of what God is doing here. Jesus is. And it just, it really brings to mind to me, the way is more important than the what. The way is more, and by that I just mean the way we do things, the integrity, the authenticity, the honesty, the reality. Those are the little things that show up when nobody's watching. That's what Christ does in us. And that's when Jesus is central to what God is doing. And that's when his word and his name and his power is magnified. I mean, why is it that in so many of the letters that are connected with this area and this ministry, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, which was written to Timothy, who was serving and working in Ephesus. So much is about the power of God being manifest in our weakness. So much is about attention to Jesus and his word. I mean, this is such fundamental stuff. And I think I've been, you know, I've been doing this for many, many years. I know that my appearance betrays this fact 
that I've been in the ministry 39 years, looking as young and youthful and <laughs> pink as I do today. But I can't tell you. I mean, if I, I could fill a garbage dump with all the stuff about how to do ministry. All the tricks and the bells and the whistles. I, I'm not trying to wipe it that, all that away. I know the heart of that. But I'm just telling you, the word, Jesus, that's what we see here. Let me read it to us as we consider the way is more important than the what because the what is in the hands of God. Starting at verse 8, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. The Jews in the synagogue would be very interested in the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible is, the story of the reign and rule of God. But Paul's message is that Jesus is the pinnacle of what God is doing in the kingdom. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, Three months, by the way, every Sabbath and maybe some other opportunities because every synagogue was very intent on schooling. Speaking evil of the way. Now there's a focus on Jesus. Speaking evil of the way before the multitude. He withdrew from them and took away the disciples. Where did the disciples come from? But he... He made those disciples, you might say. They came out of that synagogue and they became followers of Jesus Christ. That's where those disciples came from over that three-month period. And now that the way was being spoken evil of, Paul withdrew. And he goes to the hall of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So for two years and three months, what is the focus of Paul's ministry? Not only on Sabbath days in the synagogue and perhaps midday opportunities, but now in the hall of Tyrannus. So it's like he, he starts this a church, if you will, in a hall of Tyrannus. This is a, some kind of public location, like a school or something, you see. And daily. Now, this is interesting, but the work day in, in, that, that, in that day was from sunup till about 11 a.m. Trade and, you know, mercantile exchange and work being done, took place from the crack of dawn until about 11, and then they had a lunch and a siesta. It said that more people were asleep at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. And so we get a picture here of Paul working in the morning, and you'll see this in just a moment when you have reference to the sweat rags and aprons. We know that Paul was a hard-working guy. He had a trade, and that's how he made money so that he could talk to people about Christ. And uh, 
daily then in the afternoon, probably from about one to four, three hours. It's just a guess, but it's a probable one that Paul invests this time every day. And what's he doing? Well, we already heard the word of the Lord, the message about Jesus Christ from the scriptures that he had available. He's teaching. He's discipling people. I think that's why they're called disciples. In fact, in chapter 20, after we get finished with this, really the whole kind of thing ends in verse 1, where Paul gathers the disciples together and encourages them. Let's go to verse uh, 11. So that's what God's doing. That's what Paul's doing. Here's what God is doing. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This word extraordinary means just that, that extraordinary, out of the ordinary. In fact, the expression is, these are acts of power that are not what people are accustomed to witnessing. That's the sense of this. They are truly extraordinary. So here Paul is working, and he's built this reputation around Jesus Christ. This guy is devoted to Jesus Christ. People's lives are being changed. Disciples are being made. This is a, a grassroots, detailed thing. It starts very small. I was scared to death when I took that call to San Francisco. A big, big city in a little church of about 50 people. Once 500. They'd only had one pastor. He'd been there 38 years. And he died of a heart attack in the, in the house that was right next to the church that provided a place for him to live, him and his wife. So I was a second pastor. I was 30 years of age, the second pastor of this church, and it had now dwindled to about 50 people, and they were all old people, which is why I love old people. Someday, I'm going to be old, and I want you to love me too. But during that time, I went there, and I started small. One person, two person, invest, invest, invest. Give your life to that person. Ground them in the love of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to change them. Jesus is a changer. He's the one who does the transforming. We've got to ground people in that truth. But to do it, we can't just distribute information. We might as well just hand a Bible to them. Read this. Isn't that true? Everything you need to know, it's in there. You've got to live the life. I mean, they've got to see Jesus in you. Got to see the difference he makes in your life. Doesn't mean you have to put on a show. We want to be authentic. We want to be genuine. It's a struggle. Being a pastor doesn't change that. I am just like you. And I was just like them. It was kind of funny. Well, this is not the time. I, sometime I got to tell you some more stories. But they had a big old pulpit. It came down around the Horn of Africa. 
I can't tell you how many times I heard that. It was a tank. It was huge. And it was funny because I found in a drawer there was a, uh, there was a placard in the drawer that said, be quiet. So I assumed maybe the pastor used to hold that up every once in a while, you know, <laughs> hey, you over there are not listening. Be quiet. But I, so I got rid of the pulpit and, and just used a little, that was not easy. It took a long time. I want you to understand that. I'm not that rough and rude. By the way, they had papal chairs behind me and a huge picture of Jesus. I mean, it was a monster. So when I would be sitting down in the papal chairs, they looked paper because they were shaped like a miter. When I'd be sitting down in the chair, you couldn't even see me. And then when it was my turn, I would rise up. <laughs> and right over my shoulder would be Jesus. I felt so alienated, better said, I, I perceived that maybe they would look at me as someone very different from them. So I went to a simple lectern like this, and eventually, and in time, we moved those papal chairs, and I got a bench, just like it'd be like me sitting on one of those chairs that you're sitting on. Why? Yeah, this, this isn't about show and status. This is about following Jesus. My passion comes from trying to help you follow Jesus because I, it's what I'm all about trying to do. You know, I'm just as human, just as real. And I think Paul was too. And God used him in ways that I don't think he ever felt he could predict. I really don't. I don't think he felt like he could harness the power of God and then you know, have Paul, Paul Ministries Incorporated. And, and God did some things that he didn't even expect. Let's read about that. So, verse 12, handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So here's a picture of Paul, and this literally means sweat rags, not prayer apron, not prayer handkerchiefs. Although I suppose if he were living today, he'd be tempted, you know? For 10 bucks, I'll send you a prayer handkerchief. I prayed over it. And it's a it's a form of magic. It's a form of trying to control the power of God. That's not what we see here. These people are taking articles of Paul's work clothes, things that he wiped his brow with or that, you know, he worked with in his trade, and they carry them away. Why would they do that? Because I think they saw the power of Jesus Christ in this man, the reality of Jesus Christ in this man. And what is striking is it says, and notice there's, they may, there's a distinction between de diseases and evil spirits here. They knew the difference. And it says the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. 
That's the power of God. Not a lot of hocus pocus. And that's striking, and it kind of sets the stage. Luke wants us to see that because when we read on, we see some of the other stuff that's going on in the magic capital of the province of Asia. Verse 13, also some Jewish exorcists. Well, who else is going to be an exorcist but a Jewish one? When you think about it, they're the ones that believe in the one God, The rest of the people are interested in the many gods. Very different worldview. And so there are these traveling exorcists who went from place to place and attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, That's striking to me. That should be underlined. Paul proclaims, Paul preaches, Paul declares publicly Jesus Christ. Do you catch that? That's huge. I mean, it's so public that these people start using the name of Jesus Christ because they see the power in the name. And maybe next week we'll have a chance to look a little bit more at magic. I want to focus in on that a little bit more and how it gets its teeth into life today. But appropriating, claiming names of authority is huge, especially when it comes to exorcisms. And they see the power of what God is doing through the ministry of the Word and the person of Jesus Christ And so they claim that name. Now that's happening in a lot of cases, but then Luke singles out the sons of Sceva, seven sons of Sceva. Sceva is a chief priest, probably back in the Jerusalem area. There were many priests. He was probably a prominent priest, and it's through that that many Jewish people could gain access to names that the general worshiper, Jewish worshiper would not know, and that would be powerful within the realm of magic. And so the seven sons of Sceva, they're traveling, and they're probably charging a small fee for these exorcisms. They name the name of Jesus, and this uh, evil spirit, which is a great power, it exercises that power, beats them up, I should be reading this, shouldn't I? Well, let's read it. Verse 14, And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. I I, I like the transition. I know Jesus. I recognize Paul a little bit better. But who are you? Now, that's kind of striking when you talk about doing the basics or or your own ingenuity, even in the Christian realm. Sometimes we want to take, I mean, what is your idea of a successful church? What is your idea? I'll be honest with you. I've been around, and I understand this. 
People want a pastor that they can be proud of, that they can boast about. Say, oh, come hear our pastor. He's great. Is that true? People want a, a church that they say, uh, they wouldn't say it, but they're thinking, we're at the best church in town. This is where it's happening. When I came to Visalia, people said, people just kind of, they, they travel from one church to another. Have you heard that? But here's the issue that I'm trying to get at is, what is your definition? What is it that makes a church great? What is it that makes you proud of your church? Is it the hocus pocus? Is it the fireworks? I think that's a real issue here. Is that where the power of God is displayed? Is that where God really shows up? Or is that all about what reflects upon us? And our own kind of pride. What do we really want to be about? Do we want to be about changed lives? People gripped by Jesus Christ. Who are so energized by him that it makes a difference in every area of their lives. Where they work, at home with their families. They become different husbands or different wives. Different children. Oh, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. But we apologize. We get back to the truth. We keep pressing on. We belong to the people of God because we know it's something more important than just the Lions or a club or some social media. It's what our whole existence is grounded in. That's getting at what a great church is all about, in my opinion. And I think we see it here. I think we see it here. When I first got out of seminary, a guy that I used to commute, you know, I lived in Modesto, and we used to have to commute to Fresno a couple times a week, and we'd be here all day and take our classes. And I would travel with this guy under all conditions. And, and I, I suppose it's hard to almost say this because I know that this could reflect on me better than on him. But he started a church when I was over in South San Francisco and he sent me information and it was, he had his name, so-and-so ministries. And I just thought, man, that just doesn't sit right with me. That's not what it's about. I'll go, I'm going to get real candid here because I'm sick. <laughs> I'm out of time. Here, I didn't even think I would. I'll get real candid here. You can manipulate people from a pulpit. You can do things to bring a crowd. You can do things to pump the numbers. I know that. Why don't you do it? Because it's not about that. The way is more important than the what. Will you stand with me?
You know, it's interesting that uh, when the evil spirit drove out those seven sons, I mean, he, re he really put a whooping on them. Uh, they were thrashed. And they didn't wear clothes like we do, so the robes came off, you know? And they escaped to great embarrassment. And the people, I mean, the word of this, those that witnessed it and those who heard about it, the fear of God fell upon them. And it's interesting, it says that there were, there were Christians, Christians, they were believers in Jesus Christ. And I know this to be true, because it's true of every one of us. They were believers, and they came forward, and they, it says they confessed and openly announced their involvement in the magic arts. They had place in their life for all the things that were customary to their culture and society. And it took an event like this for them to renounce that. And they brought their books. Not all could afford them, but they used to have the Ephesian letters. And it was just a bunch of hocus pocus. They were just nonsensical words, but they were considered powerful and magical, and people would roll them up if they could afford to have them, and then they would put them in little talismans or amulets and things like that. They would tie them around babies for good luck to ward off spirits and things like that, and Christians would be doing that too. You see, and then when they got clean and they brought all this stuff and they burned it, and you know why they burned it? Because they, and they brought it out into the open because they knew that as long as it was secret and as long as they kept it as really a part of their lives, it was going to compromise the authenticity, the integrity, the reality of Christ in their life. And they brought it, and they, they did away with it. And then verse 20, it says, by the power of God, the word grew and increased. That's true in our own lives, too. I know it's true in my own experience. We let stuff creep in. We let the world come in and set up house. And then God just, be, does, he becomes something we do. If we do it at all on the weekends. I just want to encourage us all to think a little deeply about this. Things going wrong in your life, things messed up in your marriage, heart growing cold toward the things that it should be warm toward, cutting corners, cheating, speaking untruths. Oh, you'll get lots of encouragement from the world. We're seeped in it. I mean, turn on your TV. And little by little, we get to where we get really comfortable in this world, in the way we do things. And the power of God, well, we're going, where are you, God? Where are you in this atheistic society? Where is your power in my life? Because we have pushed him so far away, and our belief in him has grown cold. 
And you and I can turn that around by getting back to the basics, the things that are most important. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Not one of us, not one of us, when we're open to the moving of your spirit in our lives, feels settled and at peace about these things because there's always a trace of selfishness or self-centeredness. But thank you for your son that nothing that we do or all, we can turn to you. I'm grateful for that. This moment is a new step, a new day, a new beginning. This moment we can walk with you. You took care of all that stuff on the cross. So we welcome you into our life. And Father, we pray you'll lead us, that we will trust you as we walk. Do it your way, not our way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, we're going to give you an opportunity. If you'd like to come forward and pray with one of the pastors, elders of the church, we invite you to come. God bless you. Make it a great week.